Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 464, Big Box Store Games, now with Crunch! We like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the table. And again, we are talking about, as always, the latest and greatest in tabletop gaming. So, this week, we thought we would talk about the games that everyone are playing because they happen to be in the big box stores. Indeed. Yeah, we're going to run through some games that were previously or currently uh, exclusives at Target or other big box stores and, like, What's different about them? What's appealing mm-hmm. about them? How do they do? What are they bringing into the hobby? It's, it's a fascinating conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and it's it's a long conversation, right? This is this has been going on for a long time. The dynamics with the local friendly game stores, what the publishers are doing, and how tabletop gaming is moving to the mainstream, Kickstarter, all that kind of fun stuff. Hopefully, you know, the games that we'll be talking about here are games that eventually you'll see at the table, maybe at friend's house that you never knew, like tabletop gaming, and they're tabletop gaming. So, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not just Monopoly and Sorry and Battleship anymore. There's, like, legit games being sold at Target and Walmart. It's crazy. Yeah, very, very true. So that will be our feature review. Uh, before we get into our feature review, there's a lot going on with us out there. And in particular, another great opportunity to get people into tabletop gaming is one of our favorite, uh, the Long Island Retro Gaming Convention. Uh, we went last year. We had a 
ton of fun out there. And it was one of one of these great conventions that was big enough that you had everything you wanted as far as tabletop gaming is concerned and all that kind of fun stuff, but small enough that you actually got to know people. So the Long Island Tabletop Gaming Convention, Anthony, uh, we were there last year, and they're going to have it again this year, and we happen to be special guests. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast last year. I'm excited to go back. Yeah, me too. So it will be at the Cradle of Aviation in Garden City, New York, or Long Island, New York. Uh, so if you ever wanted to go tabletop gaming, but felt it needed more spaceships, airplanes, and flight suits, this is certainly the convention for you. Because all of those things are all around the place as your tabletop gaming. So bring your games that are most appropriate for that kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yes, a lot of fun. Long Island, it's their largest tabletop gaming event. Anthony and I will be putting on... Uh, two presentations with our good friend Will and several other special guests on Saturday at, uh, I think it's 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Uh, Anthony will be leading a discussion on leveling up your tabletop teach. Learn tricks, tick, <laughs> learn tips, tricks, and teaching methods from professional tabletop teachers. We will also cover all types of games, gamers, ages, and neurodiversity. We will also cover our Top games for bringing non-gamers into the tabletop hobby. Anthony, that's a lot, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll squeeze it in. It's all good. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) It's no big deal. We got it. Yeah. There's nothing more essential for tabletop gaming to kind of flourish as having good teachers. And teaching tabletop games is a real challenge. If you've ever been a teacher trying to break down information for a number of different people, diverse populations, teaching. I mean, it's it's the thing, right? We all know it. We've all been through it. Good teachers, bad teachers make our lives so much better. And obviously, good tabletop teachers do the same. So uh, learn the tricks, learn the tips, learn all that kind of fun stuff so that when you get to the table, you can teach the games and be awesome at it. And then on Sunday at 1.30 p.m. to 3 o'clock, We will be doing a level up uh, your mental health. So join another panel of mental health and tabletop professionals as we talk about how you can improve your sense of self, social engagement, and foster a healthy and welcoming community. And we will also, again, talk, do a deep dive into our games that provide personal success um, at the tabletop and in life in general. So. Um, Will and I are going to really crunch the numbers there, tell you which games could help and make uh, your personal lives and the personal lives of other people around you even better. And, you know, how to, you know, use those games um, in a beneficial way. So we have two great presentations. We really hope to see you there. If you have any questions, hit us up. Or again, if you'd like to hit up um, Long Island Tabletop Gaming Convention, uh, they're up online and uh, you can purchase tickets. So a lot of fun stuff happening there. Anthony, that's what's going on with us out there because, hey, it's a convention, man. Let's talk about what's happening with our friends out there. What's our question of the week? All right. uh, Question of the week this week. I asked people, what is the best designer slash publisher combo? So there, there are those designers that you just intrinsically associate with a specific publisher and vice versa. What is the best combo out there? 
Um, so we got a lot of good answers. Starting on the Patreon, we have Jill says, no question, it's Vital Lacerda with artwork by Ian O'Toole and Eagle Griffin Games. Mm-hmm. Bonus, if the rulebook is edited by Paul Grogan. Oh! <laughs> Instant buy. Yes, 100%. Yeah, get that rulebook editing in there, 100%. Um, uh, they say, take my money, great value, especially compared to some other high price campaigns. Looking at you, Queen Games. Ooh, get a little burn there at the end. I love it. <laughs> uh, David says, my first thought was Vlada Shavatel and CGE. Multiple successful titles with a wide variety of games from through the ages to code names. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Uh, Shavatel, just everything's a hit. Uh, they're, they're rare when they come, but when they come, they're good. Uh, Drew dropped a whole bunch on us. He said, uh, I have to admire these game designers who have started their own successful publishing companies. So amazing effort to control the amazing final product. Some that come to mind, Gene Billingsley and GMT, Vladimir Succi and Delicious Games, Cole Worley and Worley Gig, and Jamie Stegmeyer and Stonemeyer Games. Uh, all great examples of, of designers who just started their own thing and have conti- been able to continue it going on. Uh, yeah. And then hitting over to the Facebook page, uh, we have Carlos agreeing. No brainer. Lacerda Eagle Griffin. <laughs> yup. <laughs> um, Fed says, I may be biased. Peter McPherson at AEG. Peter has designed one of my favorite games of all time, Tiny Towns. Um, his new game, I think, is also AEG flat out games fit to print. Uh, Tiny Towns fits that puzzle aspect I like, but also depth. And then Matt is just trolling us and says, Stefan Feld, Queen Games, LOL. <laughs> no, no. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> you are wrong. And I know you know you're wrong. That's why it's funny. Um, that's like the opposite. If we did the opposite of this question, it would be that. So uh, it's great. The one I thought of when I posted the question was Vital Lacerda. And I'm glad yes. that several yes. of our listeners also agree with that. Yeah, I think that, again... I, I think it's a lot of these are marriages made in heaven. You need you need a great publisher, great designer, great artist. You need so many great people in it, and especially a great uh, editor for the rule book. Because again, you're not getting those games to the table. <laughs> you're just not. But you could if you have a great table tip teacher. But then again, not, we don't always have that. So right, yeah, you could talk about Ignacy Trevichek and Portal Games, except those games are impossible to learn. So no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and especially when so many tabletop games, especially the Euro games, coming over from Europe, sometimes not getting the editing love that they need and deserve, and then just hitting the ground and just being terrible just because yeah. of the rule book. And there's been a lot of games, I think, from Capstone Games, where they just ported mm. everything over. And initially, a lot of their games were just so bad, just so, so bad. Uh, and then after they kind of started to get it deep into the rule book, the games became so good, just yeah. like overnight. <laughs> like they flipped a switch and they're like, no, 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 we're going to do something about this now. And they did, and they're great. And thank goodness, because they were killing us with yeah. the early stuff. So yeah, they figured it out quickly. They learned their lesson and they moved on. Whereas some companies continue to pump out terrible <laughs> rule books, terrible, terrible rule books over and over again. Come on, guys. Yeah. Because I think, again, the number one complaint from non-gamers when they, you know, get dragged into the hobby a little bit is the teach, right? Like, it's so long. There's so many different steps to it. We can't 
we can't figure it out, you know? And I'm just like, oh, no, I know where mm-hmm. that's from. <laughs> just, yeah. Because, again, we're smart people. We could read rule books, and then you sit down to read a rule book as you, before you want to play a game, and it's just taking an extensive amount of time. So, yeah. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Yep. Yep. So the good the good combinations are the ones that don't require that. And that's always why I loved Vitalis Herda games is very complex, very heavy, and yet somehow the rule books made sense and they flowed and they were easy to read. And yeah. You don't you don't get that in a lot of games, especially ones that heavy. Yeah. I liked Eric Lang and Simon. A lot of their rule books and a lot of their games just work out really well. Mm-hmm. Uh the man knows his his uh miniatures and the graphic design, the layout, you know, the quality miniatures was always very good. And typically the rule book was uh, easily digestible. Like, you know, Blood Rage, I still have it in my head. It's easy to flip to the back and just follow through the rules. And there's not just too much going back there. So a lot of great combinations out there. All right. So if you want to join us and discuss all the latest and the greatest, Definitely hit us up on all the social medias, especially our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. But if the question of the week goes up on Facebook, and does it go up on X? I don't know. Are we, are we calling it? Is it Twitter, formerly known as Twitter? Is it? Uh, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with y'all. I haven't posted anything on there in a long time. So <laughs> There you go. So it's up on Facebook. It's on Facebook. It's on Facebook. Who knew? Who had Facebook on their bingo card for surviving the social media con- you know, apocalypse? I didn't know that was going to happen. I but mean, it- who knew Elon Musk was going to come in and destroy one of them? I didn't know that. <laughs> one of them? I don't know. I don't think he's done yet, but we'll see. <laughs> we might have to blue sky it at some point, Anthony. Yeah, we might. We might. It's a good one. All right. So again, hit us up. Love to hear from you. Reach out. We'd love to reach back. Anthony, let's get on to the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Uh, so I want to talk about a, a little a little game. Just a little bit of game. Tiny? That was just a little bit. A little okay. bit. Uh, okay. Just announced. It's going to cost like 25 bucks. It's coming That's... to the big box stores. We're That's talking a small... about today. That's a small price. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. You you told me this was Target exclusive, correct? Uh-huh, yeah. That's why it's on our list. Okay. Uh, King of Tokyo Origins. Whoa. Ah, yeah. So we're getting a, what is this, the fourth version of King of Tokyo you can buy? Third, fourth? Let's see. One, so you had you had Tokyo. Then you had yeah. New York. Yeah. Then you had the, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? The 90s version where everything's dark and black and neon. Nights. It was nights. Yeah. And then they went with the island. Okay, so this is the fifth version. <laughs> okay. Give or take and, the 3,000 expansions, because right, there, was, yeah. there was a lot of expansions to this. So the fifth version of King of Tokyo, the third edition that is basically the exact same game, and it's called King of Tokyo Origins, mm-hmm. because of reasons. I, I'm not really sure why it's Origins. Um, it is King of Tokyo. There's nothing really different or new about it. It is a smaller box. You get four monsters instead of six. You get six dice instead of eight. Um, and it's basically just everything's a little bit smaller. The board yep. looks smaller. All the bits are smaller. Now, the yep. monsters are different. Slightly. The, well, yeah. <laughs> you've got your Godzilla archetype. You've got your Kong archetype. But yeah. they're not the same, right? One of them's a mechanical hamster. Sure. <laughs> so that's very different. Well, um, we had a mechanical bunny in the first one. That's true. Yeah. And you got like the iron gorilla guy. You got the yeah. big 
Cyclops fish dude. The, Godzilla, um, the Godzilla one was way too close, I thought. Because you had G- Gigazilla, I think, was... Gigazor. 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 Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't, I don't know what they're doing here, but <laughs> it's... Um, so it's it's obviously four-player only. You don't have a lot of options. It does add new stuff, so it can serve as an expansion because a lot of expansions are just more guys to throw out there. Uh, obviously, you don't have the power-up cards baked in, so it's just the the basic cards thrown in there that, that kind of you can buy with your energy tokens. It's King of Tokyo boiled down. They're like, what can we remove from the box to make mm-hmm. it cheaper? They sure. removed all of that, and now it's cheaper. And now it's in Target. So uh, I like King of Tokyo. I like having a smaller version of King of Tokyo. I teach a class where my students love King of Tokyo. So I will 100% pick up probably two copies of this just to have. Sure. Um, and then one of them, the, the bits will go in the other box and the other one I'll bring to class with me. But do you need it if you already have King of Tokyo? No, gosh, no. Um, <laughs> this isn't for you. This is absolutely not for you. But uh, it's a perfect fit for me and my particular use case. Yeah. And it's great for getting uh, people to the table. And we'll talk more about that on our feature review. Because, again, it's smaller Tokyo, so more people might buy it. More people might play it. And not for us, because we want to have all the pieces and all the things. Because I was on a, on a, I guess, a monster binge for a while. And then at some point, they were just like, they lapped me. And I was just like... I can't keep collecting them because there's way too many and they are super expensive now for some particular reason, but this is easily attainable, consumable and you know, fun, good stuff. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to have it. I'm glad it's inexpensive. Like if this went to just the regular hobby stores and I, I love regular hobby stores, but if it was just like that with the expansions, like those individual monster packs were like 10 to $15 a piece. This would be expensive, and it's not at Target. If you wait a few months, it might even be even cheaper. So I'm sure. happy that it exists. Uh, and I guess that's it. That's, like, it's not a new game. It's not anything interesting, but it's coming out, so it's cool. Excellent. All right. Well, I got two games that are coming out soon. They'll both be on crowdfunding. Uh, first up from Oddbird Games is Fled. Fled, a gripping game of gutsy escape. This will be up on Kickstarter probably about a week when you hear this episode drop. Uh, sneak down through corridors, sidestep wardens, and secure items to free yourself from a vile Victorian prison. So it's a prison break, people. We're trying to break out of prison because that's the thing that happens at games too. So... If you ever saw that Prison Break, the TV show, or just any of the great Alcatraz movies, well, guess what? Um, it's the mid-19th century. You've been jailed for petty theft, and you're looking for a mixture of contraband in order to navigate yourself through the prison to escape, which would be great. And if not, try to collect as much contraband as possible to score as many points as possible and win the game. So basically. You have your own particular character, your little meeple on these different tiles that each turn you're going to be putting tiles out to the board to expand uh, the prison. And you are trying to build your way with those tiles towards the exit while other players are doing the same. But also you can kind of mess with people and kind of like navigate <laughs> the prison so it becomes a little bit more of a maze. So 
that's a really interesting concept right there. These double square tiles that you place out and they connect to other rooms. So you have to make sure that if you have an outside, you know, you have a green environment, it has to connect to that. But then there's ways to connect the rooms through arches, doorways, and windows and such. But as you, the characters moving through the game, you need certain tools to be able to get through certain rooms, not to mention the keys to get out of the prison. There's also day and nighttime situations. So um, different things become available. The warden is a character, a meeple in the game, that you can also send after your other prisoners to get them shackled down, and they'll lose points. But they're also sending that to get the, the warden after you as well. Uh, there's also a chaplain, prison chaplain, who's doing great things to help you uh, get free or be able to deal with the contraband that you're dealing with. But the most interesting part of this game, which I really like, and I've never, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen this before, there's not cards in the game. But you get, again, these two-room tiles, these long tiles, and the tiles are multi-use tiles. Now, you see multi-use cards, but there's multi-use tiles here. So the tile itself, you have to place in the prison to build out the prison, but also you can add that to your own prison cell because there's, there's tools on it. So um, there's a knife, there's a boot, there's other kind of things to kind of get you through. But there's also contraband and collecting contraband off these tiles. And you can also use these tiles to move. So I love multi-use cards. This is my first, as far as I can remember, first multi-use tile game. And again, it's all about escaping to get points. But uh, predictively, um, you might gain the shackles. You might lose points that way. Uh, you want to get bonuses for your inventory. But it looks like a pretty cool, fun game. And uh, this will be coming out on Kickstarter, as I mentioned, in about a week. Uh, these are the same people that created Feudum, which, shocking surprise, they're bringing that game back as well. Um, we will be getting a Fled uh, review copy to talk about it more once we get the chance to play and review it. And Feudum itself, which again was our game of the year, I think it was back in 2018, Anthony. Do you remember we were on 2018? We're, we're that old of a podcast that we were back in the 18s. I mean, we started in 14, so 13? <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere in there, it's 18. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's the thing. I remember I remember years. Why not? So Oddbird is also coming out with Feudum. Again, they're bringing it back out. Um, I love that game. We've loved that game. It is a endearing, super crunchy game that really has, again, one of my favorite mechanics, the, the cards. But also, it had this wondrous kind of mechanism where as you're playing your actions to activate your particular guild, the items and things, the actions that you had spilled over to the next guild, and then so on and so forth. So as the game goes on, and as you and the other people at the table keep taking actions and trying to take control of the guild, trying to take control of the map, everything kind of snowballs not just for you, but for everybody else. And it's this really nice symphony of just ongoing success and challenge at the same time and trying to control those areas for victory points and such. Um, we love the game. It is crunchy as all get out, but it's certainly worth the, the time at the table. Well, they're bringing it back out, but this time it's coming out to GameFound. 
Uh, this will be their seventh anniversary. It's the original game as we know and love it, especially with all the kind of fun artwork and all the great guilds and the great interesting fantasy kind of like realistic Victorian, but also fantasy kind of uh, looking characters to it. They also have some really cool upgraded pieces. Um, Anthony is always bothered typically by a fifth player. Not to worry, Anthony. This game has a sixth player in it. So ah, why? <laughs> well, this they, game is so what? Uh, well, look, they knew that five players was bugging you, so they went ahead and made a six player, so you wouldn't have to worry oh, about the fifth player. My God, how long would this be? Like four <laughs> years? Come on. <laughs> the only good thing I would say is you don't have to play with that many players, but you could. Oh yeah, you could. So, but why pay for those pieces then? Because huh? some huh? people, I'll be honest, because some people are like me and they like to play with the six, <laughs> the six players. Because <laughs> you can play all the guilds. And, and that's kind of fun because th- there are mainly six guilds on the board. So it allows people to really, I don't know, take control of those guild areas. So uh, Feudum is going to be on GameFound. I think they were talking about a, a May release. So um, jump on GameFound, follow their campaign. Uh, you'll get updates and other stuff as far as it's concerned. And uh, we'll also get a review copy of this, and we'll get it to the table and get six people and challenge Anthony to the end of all existence as we feud him up. No. I will I play refuse. with six players. So there you go. Yes. <laughs> at, You're, at, you've been supposed to teach me this game for like eight years. I don't know if it's going to happen, so... I know it only happen. came out seven years ago, but it's been eight years. It could happen. It could happen with six players. It, that, that's the thing oh, that could happen. Oh, is that the monkey's paw? That's the monkey's wanna, paw. That's if I want to learn this game, I got to learn about six players? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I think I think you want to teach six players so that six players know the game. I, I guess Ooh, that's six. That's six. a good argument. I, I know. Okay. You know what? I take it all back. I'm okay with that. There you go. All right. Well, that's everything for Acquisition Disorders. Now to what's hitting our table at the table, Anthony. So, my friend, I got some great games to table. I got some great uh, games online. Uh, first up, I want to talk about Federation. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, this is a game that came out in 2022. Got to play this recently at a convention. And then, as luck would have it, it's on Board Game Arena. So, got to play it more and more and more and more. and. This is, in fact, as a lot of games are, right? Certain games need a lot of players because reasons, like in particular Federation, you can play with two, but really it's a four-player game because one of the main elements of the game, of this game itself, is there's voting. And when you play with the lesser players, you can kind of get a dummy player that comes in there and puts random votes out there, which is not really satisfying because it's, it's, it's random. This, you really want to play with a four players at the table, or again, on Board Game Arena, you can play it plenty of times on there. And basically, the game is all about this Federation Council, again, Star Trek, Babylon 5, or such, where they have these giant Federation of planets that are coming together, and you want to, sh- you want to prove that you are worthy to join this amazing Federation over five years or five rounds. And basically, it's divided into two main steps of the game. The first step is where players uh, take turns, and they they play their ambassador tokens, and these really cool chits. Um, I don't call them chits, actually, in fact. They're kind of more along the lines of, like, really solid discs. And on both sides 
on one side, you have your voting side. And the other side, you have your point side. But you have four different ones here uh, in, in the game. Now, some, ones, some of the sides don't have voting. Some do. But the ones that do are more powerful. So basically what you're doing in the game is you have this really lavish board. You have this big federation that, that's having their um, council meeting. Think of like, I guess, episode one of Star Wars, where it's, you know, the Trade Federation. They have those little kind of uh, individual spaceship little disc platforms where the representatives are standing. You're going to play your votes out to those different areas that allow actions to take place. Again, you want to do the numbers because you want points, but also you want to do votes because at the end of the game, that Federation Council, certain areas of the board will score. Now, these different areas of the board, there's five different areas of the board. So as the game goes on and you take these actions, you are activating these five different planetary systems. Each of them have different benefits and resources. And as you keep taking those actions, it is a great opportunity to vote up that particular planetary system because you want that to score. So if you go to the yellow planet a lot and you're getting resources and you're trading things in out, you want to make sure that a lot of votes goes to the yellow so at the end of the game you can score a maximum number of points. If it doesn't reach that voting limit, then that yellow planet does not score. But throughout the game, what really you want to do is gain a lot of favors of those different planetary systems to score points by going to those particular areas, utilizing your four tokens, the one, the one, two ones, a two, and a three. There's also an opportunity to get a die that can be upgraded to add additional votes. So when you go out there, and then you have your own player board itself, and your player board has opportunities for you to take an action a second time. You unlock that particular area of your board, and then you send a ship that allows you to utilize, again, one of those five planets. Um, the orange planet lets you gain resources through kind of a asteroid system. The yellow planet's kind of a sun planet, so it's allowing you to re recombine elements to kind of upgrade them. Uh, the purple-pink planet has a lot of ambassadors that you can add to your board that give you a one-time bonus. The blue planetary system gives you additional uh, chits that go on top of your voting markers. So now that particular marker has an additional special benefit when you place it out there that replaces the basic one that's out there. And then there's that green planetary system that is going to give you ongoing benefits if you meet the resources that it needs or end game scoring. Uh, the game itself has a number of different, um, at least especially in the green section, a number of different uh, mid-game kind of resources you can get or end-game goals. So there's a lot of ways to mix it up. But primarily, the game really comes down to what planetary system is really going to be your engine for victory points. You're going to want to do a little bit of everything, but you can't obviously focus and put all of your energy into one of those, all of those areas. It's a federation. You want to tap everybody a little bit, and again, as the game goes on, as you're strategically building to those particular areas, people are going to take your spaces, right? So they're going to take those different planetary systems because they need the resources as well. So there are some strategic some decisions, there's some tactical decisions throughout the game. 
And then again, it boils down to really these four action tokens that you're going to place onto the main board. But it has a, a wealth. It's a very much point salady type of game of as far as where can you score points? Well, you can score points here as getting the tokens. You can get score points here as you, you move up all your, your bonuses. It's just there's a lot of places to score points. At the beginning of the game, when I played this the first time, I was like, I will focus here. And by the end of the game, I had spread out got a lot of points from a lot of different areas and I like that about a game. It's it's good when you can you can kind of focus, but it's great when it's open enough that you can take other things. Towards the end of the game, it came a little tense, a little tight because you want to take certain actions but you don't know when you need to take them because other people might take them or other people might vote up your particular section because they're going there now. It is a crunchy kind of euro. It's not too bad. I don't it's not Vital Asserta, who we were talking about earlier. Uh, but it is a lot on the board. It's very bright. It's very colorful. It's easy to kind of like get a little colorblind just from the amount of things that are happening on the board. It's kind of like Batoko a little bit like that. It's just too much on the board itself. The board game arena version is good, but certainly because there are so many sideboards that come with the game. It is a little challenging because you have to flip through the, the different board areas in order to kind of navigate your resources and where you're going. It's much better on the table because you get to see everything all at once, but it's not bad on board game arena. I would recommend playing it, of course. The one thing I will say, play it the four players. Uh, it does better. It's, it's a lot more enjoyable and engaging if somebody is going to take an area that you might want or you take someone's area or you're voting up a particular area. If you have a dummy player jump in there and just kind of throw votes in a certain area or close down certain sections, it's more annoying than it is, you know, fun. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's always kind of a, a, a real challenge as far as that's concerned. And we've seen that a lot. And again, it's sometimes that's what it has to do. So Federation from Eagle Griffin Games, uh, Gets gets a play for me. I think it's a I think it's a good solid game, but definitely needs a certain player count to be optimally successful. That right there is the reason I'm glad I didn't pre-order this. Like it looked great. The reviews that I'd seen early were great. It like all the things about it, I'm like, this seems like it's something I would like. But like the specific player count requirements meant sure. that I would just never get it played. And so yeah. Why why own it, especially if you can just play it online. If you yeah. happen to get people together, it's probably for me at least personally, it's more likely to get that together online. Yeah, and there's not a lot of player interaction other than taking other people's stuff or getting mm. to a certain area. So the voting isn't really it's not there's not a social dimension to it. Uh it's pretty clear what you're going for because you're investing in a certain planetary system. So you're mm. gonna send the votes there. Everyone sees that coming. So they just try to out you know, go somewhere else and beat you to it mm. or, you know, try to get the things before you can. So uh, it does have that very Euro solitary kind of play to it. So, yeah. Um, but it is a good game. Eagle Griffin did a good job. It's just, it's a little bright in the table. It could have been a little easier on the eyes because it's a lot to kind of manage. Very point salady, but a good fun time. Second, Anthony, I just want to talk about a game that I know you did a full review for, so I don't have to do a full review, which is awesome for me. But I will <laughs> give my review of it because I was surprised. Now, when we, I think we finished up that review of 
Imperial Miners uh, that came out in 2023. You were like, you will like this game. And I was like, I will like this game? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, awesome. And then I saw it at the table and I played it. And then I played some more. And I played even some more. And I'm going to give my review right now. It's fine. Um, ah. It, ah, boo. Yeah. I you'd like it. It's fine. It's it's fine. I again, it, it's a fairly straightforward game, so I I don't want to like overdo it as far as details concerned. And I know certainly you've played Anthony, and probably a lot of people play it. Basically, uh, you're building a mine, and I guess it's in the Imperial Settlers universe or cinematic universe. I don't know these Something days. Something like that. Yeah. It's the... So they they've taken that kind of art and aesthetic, and I think the art is gorgeous. I think it's so much fun. There's so much detail in it, and I really I really love the design here. Uh, very easy to read, good graphic design, lots and lots of fun. But basically, what kind of let me down on the game is you're primarily trying to get the gems because they're victory points, but you need right. the gold in order to get the better cards out there in your mind. Also, kind of fun. And there is some element, as far as scoring some victory points, of how you line the car the cards up, because there is these kind of like, uh, I guess, carts where they hold all their gems and stuff. Uh, if you line them up properly, you got the connection, you got the cart with all the gems in it. If you don't, then you have opportunities throughout the game in order to put those out there. So also very fine. Uh, but the game itself was a little, was was really light. I, I wasn't expecting the game to be as light as it was. Um, basically, you are doing your, your, you reveal one event card. Card could be somewhat challenging, bad, but typically is kind of okay, good, doesn't really hurt anybody so much. It wasn't super impactful to the game. And then you play exactly one card to your mind mm -hmm. each round. And then you activate bottom up from the deepest mind up one card each i don't know was it is it I, I i think it's what four you go four cards deep four or five cards deep i think it's four 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 cards deep and then you have like the base level yeah and i was just like and where's the rest of the game why why no more game game should be funner it, the game is only be... it's play one card and then do like three one thing or two yeah, things or yeah. three things or four things it's like, it's a filler game it's a filler it's not it, yeah but the production is so high and good true and the right. art and again i and we've talked about this before i think we've probably even done episodes before about this we might need to do an episode again about how often companies are like let's lean on our brand to sell yet another game and yeah. I was expecting something a little bit more of the Imperial Settlers weight in this game. And this game was so exceptionally light, it should have been branded as a filler game. Um, mm. Even the box is a little bit bigger. I, 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 I was like, oh, that's, that's it? It's just kind of a deck of cards and, you know, really nice pieces, but kind of a deck of cards there. Uh, I like the game. I, I don't dislike the game. I was just terribly disappointed how light and simplistic the game was you know like you're gonna have a handful of cards and they kind of don't necessarily play together because there's different icons as far as factions are concerned so you might have a card that's like it benefits off this kind of faction 
I don't have any of those cards in my hand. Maybe I'll get some more, but I'm really just playing one card. So like, it might be this gets two coins, this gets three coins. I'm like, hmm, all right. Um, but there might be hope, Anthony. I don't know if you know this, but there is an Imperial Miners expansion coming Woo! out. Aztecs and Weirdlings. So it's, Weirdlings. Yeah. It's, That's a new one. Yeah, it, it looks like uh, all monsters, basically. Ah, uh, okay. Why? Why are I, they doing that? I don't know. So... Uh, so there's two new factions, the Aztecs and the Transvel- Transylvanians, which they called Weirdlings. Uh, each faction Ugh. brings unique gameplay elements and strategies, enriching the Imperial Miners universe. It's already a universe, Anthony. This is its second part. It's a universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I would love the idea of this game being more. I don't know how it's more, but I, I don't. I don't think that's going to be more. I think it's just going to be a bigger deck. Well, maybe you have different separate decks. Maybe you have an Aztec deck and a Weirdling deck. Because I really didn't like the fact that I wasn't playing my own faction. Right. I wanted to that's, play my That's own... the thing. is yeah. They're like, it's Imperial whatever. And you're like, cool, I get my own faction. Like, no, that's not what this is. Also, it's way lighter than those other two games. Also, it's very short. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and again, they're like, oh, all the factions are in here. And I, I thought that was the opposite of fun. Because I kept getting like a single card that was like would benefit off other cards of its type, but the mm. game is so fast, and you're not choosing from a market of cards. You're choosing from cards that are face down. So I never really built a mind that was like representative of a particular faction, and it didn't seem like it made a big difference because again, in the end, it's only a matter of a difference of one or two coins. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. Um, there is also. And again, many people might already know this. I discovered this. Uh, Portal Games also has a Halloween uh, expansion, kind of. It's just basically one page that you can print out. And it has one of these kind of tracks. In the game itself, I didn't mention there's three tracks. And they flip over so you can actually have different combinations track. Well, there's a Halloween track you can get online. You can download the setup here. And you can just move around. The artwork again is adorable and cute, and they should have made it this a hollow. They should have made this game something else or just smaller because I don't know. I'm doing hand motions and I'm not sure. Like I kept feeling like I was grabbing for something that was not there. I liked mm. it, but it was fun. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm conflicted. It's a play. I would play this again if someone said, hey, you want to play this? And I was like, sure, we'll knock this out in like five minutes and I will be (laughs) on my phone at the same time as I play this game. So don't be offended, but sure. Brutal, brutal. (laughs) It's not brutal. It's, it's, it's what the game is. It's, it's fine. It's people need fine games in life. They did a great production. It just should have been, it should have been a small box game. It should have been named something different and it should have like screamed like this is not, this is not the game like it's maybe eventually it'll be the game but it's not so imperial miners it's fine i don't know it's it's okay it's a (laughs) thing i guess it's fine the world needs those games um yeah if it was if there was more to it i would love it but it's it's fine um i was kind of yeah sure you know you ever know like when you pick up a bag or a box and you expect it to be heavy and then you just like lift it and like almost throw it up in the air that was this 
I was just like, all right. Yeah. I feel like this is a good critique of my original review where I did not make it clear that the game is in fact very light. It is very light. That is not a thing that I disagree with at all. I just don't know. Maybe I didn't clarify that, but I originally described it. Yeah. It's fine. Again, like I said, like you mentioned, I just thought the mine was going to be bigger. There was going to be more cards out there to like really Mm. flush out the mine. That would be cool. And you're only really taking, you're only utilizing one mine card for level. So even if you place other cards out there, it might be slightly better, but it's not like, it's not like a combo thing. There's no, there's no like, I do this, this, and this turns into this and that, that, I'm like, mm, all right. And then the same thing with the, the tracks, like you just move up the tracks because right. why, the, what, why the, track, the tracks are lame. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree on that. All right. Cool. All right. Let's get on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is of course. Talking about big box store games now with some extra crunch in them. Anthony, once upon a time, if you wanted a board game and you went to a store with your family or friends, uh, you found something that's Monopoly-like or Monopoly or, again... One of the 42 versions of Monopoly? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it was Hasbro whatever is what you'd find at the store. (laughs) Yeah. So there was few exceptions to those games out there. Again, depending on your age and generation and your particular location, it was hard to get, uh, again, we don't use this term a lot. We used to use it a lot back in the day, Anthony, like designer designer games, right? That was the thing we used right. to talk about a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it was, those early games didn't have designers attached to them. Yes. Right? We, we've only found out over the years, like, oh, Andrew Parks made these 43 games for Hasbro, and you know, we have uh, Eric Lang did all these 27 games for Hasbro because their names were not on the boxes. And it's not like it's a secret, but it just wasn't promoted. And now all the games have the designers names on the boxes. We know who's making them. We know why they're making them. We know what's coming out of them. Um, it's a different world. It's a different world. Most times, right? There's still some Hasbro stuff, right? There's some big stuff that comes out and weirdly doesn't get named or it comes from like Prosperous Hall, but it doesn't get named. Name drops. Prospero Harl's a weird one because it's yeah. it's they run almost like a marketing agency, except yeah. like with games. Like I, I don't even know you could put a designer's name on there because they do everything by committee. Sure. Um, but but yeah, there are some exceptions. For yeah, sure. it's the exceptions that prove the rule, right? Again, it was designer games or mass market games. We used to talk about them. Right. And yeah. again, there was the there was that rare game like Hero Quest that kind of you know squeezed through for some reason. It was that Toys R Us? And then, right. you know, yeah. because reasons. So, yeah. So you can actually get games at big box stores. It's really weird. I don't know. To, I don't know how to feel about that. I go down like Target aisle and I see games that I actually own. And I feel like <laughs> weird. Like, do I feel cheapened? I feel a little cheapened. But also I'm happy because people could actually buy these and play these. And the, the last time I remember seeing this many games that I have played or owned or was basically in our wheelhouse was when they used to have like a dozen different versions of Munchkin in like Barnes and Noble. And that right. was like <laughs> primarily it was like, hey, it's Backgammon or Munchkin or Risk at Barnes and Noble. But I was like, what is this Munchkin? Who's this Steve Jackson guy? I don't know who this person is. He's not a Hasbro guy. What's going on here? Right. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing too is like the list we're gonna share with you is basically drawn from Target. Because they're the ones who've like gotten the most like, specific exclusives on board games. Sure. If you go to Barnes and Noble now, like the last five years, 
it's legit like a mini FLGS. 100%. Yeah, like, if we did that, it would just be like, here's some regular games that we all own. (laughs) It's It would be an interesting list, because they, like, whoever curates their game collections just goes out and finds, you know, what is the hot thing right now? Okay, Everdell's on the shelf. Because yeah. Wingspan's on the shelf. Wormspan's on the shelf because this is what people are buying right now. Yes. Um, Target's obviously higher scale. There's a lot more Target stores out there. Sure. Uh, and they get their weird ex- exclusive deals, which I think yes. is, and, know, riles people up a little bit. And also versions, right? Like we'll talk about yeah. that. You mentioned King of Tokyo Origins previously. But again, growing up in the industry, like you said, we've been here 10 plus years now at this point. When a game that was meant for the friendly local game stores, these designer games, and they didn't go into those stores, but went to a Barnes and Noble or some other kind of, you know, early kind of big box store. It was an odd event. People didn't know what to do with themselves. The stores were very upset because the stores were directly supporting the industry. And now here's this exclusive version of a game that's not going to hit the local stores but going to hit some other kind of vendor marketplace out there. And they were just kind of, that was devastating. That was, there was almost like upheaval about that kind of stuff. And I know over the years going to the game conventions, it was very upsetting for the friendly local game stores out there because if they couldn't get those games and they were going to other places, how were they going to survive as a business? But on the other side, the designers and the publishers want their games to get to as many people as possible. And only through those big box stores, you know, Barnes & Noble being a smaller version of that, but obviously your Targets, your Walmarts, your Costcos, your Sam's Clubs, just exponential growth. And now their games are getting into the hands of people who never saw those games. So um, the friendly local game stores, while amazingly supportive and beneficial somewhat restrictive so yeah yeah challenging on both sides yeah i mean if, again if we're just just looking at target for narrowing our sample size there are 2000 target stores in the country yes so if target says hey we want to exclusively carry a version of your game and we need 20 copies for each store that is 40000 games you've just sold yes which could be Five to ten times as many as you were planning on, like that you would print otherwise for just an FLGS order. Uh, it's it's big time. So like you get those sales, especially if you sell the games, it's it's a big deal. So it makes sense that they make these deals. Where it gets a little sketchy, and we'll talk about it with a, at least one example, is when you have something on Kickstarter that then has a big box store exclusive <laughs> release before people get their stuff. Oh no. And it's like, okay, so are you using the money from target and Walmart to pay for the shipping to your backers Ooh. who paid for the production of your game? Like it's a little sketchy when you get to that point. Um, but for some of these smaller companies, that's not what's happening. They're just like excited to get their stuff out into the world. Absolutely. And it's also hitting the market that tabletop designers or publishers don't usually get, right? Non-gamers. Right? The gamers right. are going yeah. to the gamers are going to find these games, right? So as you mentioned, King of Tokyo Origins, I love King of Tokyo. You love King of Tokyo. We will probably go to Target, weirdly enough, to buy King of Tokyo. Yep. We will we will journey 
to, to a target. But families who've never heard of King of Tokyo might pick it up because it's on a shelf. It's affordable. It seems fun, you know, accessible. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah, and that that's the reason why Yellow makes that deal. They're like, hey, you know, we can get this game out into the world. We can get more people in front of it. And otherwise, you know, and King of Tokyo has been in Target before, but now this is a cheaper version of that. Yes. You know, we're, we're not going to, like, go through all the hobby games that have been ridiculously overpriced over the years in Target. <laughs> um, but there's been plenty. Yes. If you remember the Game of Thrones Catan. Oh, my God. At Target for $80. I'm like, no one is buying this. Literally no one is buying this. $80 at Target is insane. Um, so if you get something down to 25 bucks, that's the sweet spot. That's great. You're going to sell a lot of copies that way. That's what Ravensburger does. That's what it, uh, with all the Prospero Hall games from Funko as well. So could we, um, could we let publishers know that that's a reasonable price for a board game and dear God, stop raising the prices of board games. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that, but no, they're not going to take that lesson at all. Ah, oh, jeez. Like, if they can sell a $25 game, they don't need to sell a $125 version of it. I'm just saying. Yeah. All right. So I agree. <laughs> we all agree. So, Anthony, let's, let's get on to the list here. Yes, let's do it. So, uh, we mentioned King of Tokyo Origins and what that means. We've talked about what the game is. So, that is the current one. That's the big one that's out in the, in the world right now. Um, the... Uh, another recent release, I guess not recent recent, but like the last year or two, uh, Spirit Island Horizons. Mm-hmm. This is, again, they take Spirit Island, they boil it down to bare necessities to play the game, and they sell it for half to a third of the price. Oh, much less. Yeah. It's this game is 25, 30 bucks uh, versus the base game, which is eight, like 70 or 80. Yeah, it's, it, it's gone up. It's been pretty expensive. Yeah. So. This you can play with three people has much fewer of the spirits, but it is just Spirit Island. Yeah, right. It's not like a lighter. They haven't dumbed down the game. They've just put less stuff in the box. Yes, and there's not uh, actually like the Dahan little huts are not there. They're all like everything's chits. Everything's cardboard in that game. Right, and I think even the boards themselves, the spirit boards, are kind of thin. As far as they're not the hard kind of cardboard that you're used to, they're thin kind of paperish kind of thing. But it is Spirit Island, fully, fully and completely, and you can use you can actually play with those spirits in your regular game. Right. Yeah, and I I think that's why it's been so popular is people like me go buy it to add to their collection of spirits because they are different spirits. It's not it's not the regular spirits boiled down. They're like, oh no no, you you get all the stuff you need, and then there's new stuff. Yes. So it it like smart speaks to both sides. If you're just a parent who stops by a Target and sees, hey, this looks like an interesting game, and you buy it for your family, who boy are you in some? It's <laughs> have fun learning how to play this. Um, but for the for the gamers out there, this was this was a cool release. Yeah, and I, and I think the spirits themselves are, and Spirit Island does have their difficulty scales with the different spirits, these are eat the easiest of the spirits to play. Right. Of course. Cause they're very, right. they're very like base kind of like give a single bonus kind of defense or offense or whatever else. Uh, whereas right. the other spirits are like, and then like you need to be near a coast and then there needs to be a sun, a sudden wind. And this has to be a, a forest. And you're just like, nah, uh, no, these are a lot, <laughs> a little easier, uh, uh, you know, at the, at the table. So, but, uh, yeah, great game. Um, all right. Next up is not necessarily 
a good game by all accounts, but a good example of a big company boiling down their materials to a cheaper package. This is Space Marine, the board game. So Games Workshop has been releasing a lot of board games lately. It's something that they in the past would license out. But in the last like five years, they've been just pumping them out from their own production capabilities. And so this is one that is available, I think, currently at Target. Um, they've recently had versions of like Blood Bowl and other versions of Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy, like small box, like, you know, similar to a board game box sold in other big box stores. Um, I think I got a copy of Blood Bowl second season at uh, Barnes and Noble not too long ago. There's a version of Warhammer Fantasy that was at Walmart not too long ago. So this is Space Marine. So it's 40k. It's a board game sold at Target. Um, which means it's relatively affordable. It has a bunch of miniatures in it, 23 of them. They're push fit, so you don't have to glue them. And those miniatures then end up being like a couple bucks a piece, piece, which is a huge discount off of what you usually pay for Games Workshop miniatures. Um, The general consensus is the game is terrible, (laughs) but you get very cheap miniatures and it's a good introduction to the system. for a relatively inexpensive price, considering how expensive it is to get into um, Warhammer. So like for 40 bucks, you get enough miniatures to play a two V like a one V one game. And you could then take those miniatures and throw them in another game if you upgrade. So uh, it's an interesting example of this type of decision from a company and how that can benefit them, whether the game's good or not, people are buying it. I, I get, oof. I mean, I, 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 I worry because Space Marines would never, would never stand for this. No, <laughs> they would be very, very upset about what, what was happening there. But I get it, I guess. But also, I, I guess, I guess you can. And then we say it's, it's not necessarily a shrink. It is in some cases. It's not, you know, not certainly a dumb down because again, a lot of these companies are so very smart about keeping their games you know, the core quality, but here there's failure. Certainly (laughs) there's, there's where things go wrong, like really bad. So yeah. Yeah. This isn't great, but it is what it is. It needed to happen. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up we have horrified and really we could say horrified in general, because this has been a big box store game because it's Ravensburger and all their stuff is big box store. But Greek Monsters in particular was a recent release, and outside of conventions, um, which is where I got my copy for my son, it has been big box store exclusive. Um, has not yet gone to local game stores. Uh, it Greek Monsters is, and I reviewed this not too long ago, um, fairly similar to the other permutations of this game. It's a standalone version of it, but in this case you have... Uh, the Greek monsters that you're fighting against and you are playing as avatars of the gods. Uh, and so if you like Greek mythology, it's amazing. It has all this stuff baked into it. It's a very cool implementation. The artwork's really fun and interesting. Um, the different mechanics around Medusa and Cerberus and Chimera and Minotaur, they're very interesting and cool. And there's an expansion on the way that they've already announced. Um, it's one of those things, though, that like, I'm glad it's available in uh, big box stores, but it's also like a slightly more complex version of this system. So I wish, I don't know, like the base version is a little harder to find now. This is the one you can get. And that's kind of the progression we get in the big box store releases. It's like, oh, this is the version you can get now. Like if you want Villainous, 
go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But if you come to the store, you're going to get villainous Star Wars. Yes. You better like Star Wars. If you want horrified, you get Greek monsters. The yes. other one's gone. You got to go somewhere else to find that. It's true. Um, and so you've got that big box store cycling of content to have everything be new all the time. Sure. It And this is kind of a representation of that. It's a good game. You should pick it up if you like it. But if you want the old version with the universals, you got to go elsewhere to find those. It's weird, but I guess it works. I mean, it's distinctive. I mean, are you bringing this to the game table and, and getting laughed at by the other gamers? Like, ah, you got the geek Greek monsters. Like, no, these are cool. <laughs> these are cool. These are also cool. Just because it came from Target, it's cool. Uh, it's the same game, right? Just different monsters. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. I don't know. Like my my son's all about it, but uh, that's a different audience. I mean, sure. I I like the I like the Greek monsters better. So I'm just oh yeah yeah. This is my favorite version of the game. I've played all three. I like this one the most. Yeah, by a lot. hundred percent. Um. All right. So those are like ones you can like are currently available now. Going back in time, there are some pretty famous big box store exclusives. So we're gonna kind of cover these as well. These are like ones where people are like really. That's going to go to the big box store first. Okay, let's see what happens. Um, So the biggest one, I think, this is editorializing a little, but in my opinion, the biggest one, because it's ranked number nine on the board game geek hotness, is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Mm -hmm. Now, you can get this anywhere now, but when it first launched, you could only get it at Target. Mm. And when they announced this, I was like, how did they pull that off? Who at Target, who in Target's, leadership was like i love gloomhaven like this big box behemoth of a game and clearly it was someone um but it's almost a perfect version of gloomhaven this is what you should release first because this is an introduction to that system it is gloomhaven without the boards you've got like a book that kind of serves as your map and 25 scenarios Honestly, this is probably as much Gloomhaven as 90% of people need. Yes. And <laughs> 100%. I, it's about as far as I got in the big box. So I'm like, if this had just come out first, I would have played this and been done. And I probably still would have bought the big box like an idiot. Mm. But I never would have played it because um, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. And I can see why it's so highly ranked. But it was 50 bucks and it did really well. And it's, it, you know, it just showed the, the, the draw of Gloomhaven in general. And I think they corrected on some of the, the the most challenging parts of Gloomhaven, which is the setup. The setup for Gloomhaven yeah, is massive. Yeah, where this has the, this the book, really right? streamlines it yeah. with the, with the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's smart because the book has been used in a lot of ways, just kind of flip open and kind of set things up. But when you're playing Gloomhaven, there is a time investment for the setup and breakdown that is unreal. Yeah. So great job, really great job upgrading and you know just. I don't know. I wouldn't say perfecting it, but close to it, right? I mean, as somebody who teaches writing, and it just like rails on about concision all the time, like, boil it down, boil it down. What is the least amount of information you need to convey what you're trying to convey? This is that, mm. right? This is yeah. this is Isaac Childress's vision, boiled down to as little as needed to convey what he's trying to convey without it being, like, too dumb, right? Um, it's a perfect balance, in my opinion. Excellent. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Pan Am. This is from Prospero Hall. Now, Prospero Hall released a billion games, right? They did. Like, 
they they did horrified, which we just talked about. They did villainous, which is later on the list, but we can kind of cover it now. Um, but if you go to Board Game Geek, they have 136 listings. Almost all of these are big box store exclusives, at least started that way, right? And some of these are before Funko, some of them are after Funko, but they've released a lot of stuff. Pan Am is a great example because this is a fairly heavy for a big box store type of game. It's like a 2.5 weight, takes an hour to two hours, has a decent amount going on. You pull it out and you play it, and it looks like a game you would buy at a friendly local game store, and yet you'd buy it at a Target, and that was the only place to get it. That's where I got my copy. Um, and it, it like it's celebrating like a, a long lost time in American aviation. It's like such a unique, specific, weird thing that I, I honestly can't believe got greenlit by like a Target. But here it is, and it exists, and it's good. Excellent. Um, Evolution, the beginning. This was the dumbed-down version of Evolution that they put into Target exclusively. Um, I don't think I ever got a chance to play this, because I like Evolution fine, but I didn't like it enough to think that I would like a dumbed-down version of it. But it sold a lot of copies of Evolution for them. Yeah, I played this. It's... Again, it's... I feel bad saying dumbed down because I think there's there's a negative to True. this. Sure, yeah. I think it's I think just like King of Tokyo, it's smaller, it's shorter, it gets it, it gets away with lesser lesser components, and but again, evolution doesn't really have a lot of components. You have that little watering hole. You have your cards. I don't know. Like it still works. It still works pretty well. Now that being said. The real fun of evolution and, and you know having played all the different versions is all the extra different traits that come into play and all the different variations with climate and stuff like that but if you if you asked does evolution the beginning work as an evolution yes absolutely i think it's i think it's fine I, I again i miss i would miss and i did miss the extra stuff but as far as evolution versus evolution the beginning it's fine i i would I would certainly, if I had to, you know, offer or recommend, I would say, look, if unless you are like us, <laughs> just have to have all the things, I don't, I think the evolution in the beginning is better than the original evolution. Just saying. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so that's, that's some interesting, like, success stories and various things that have worked and come out recently. Here's a couple of more controversial releases that I'm sure did perfectly well for target. They made a lot of money. Um, but I know for us gamers, they were a little more salt inducing. Um, the first of these is terraforming Mars Ares expedition. Yeah. So this was a Kickstarter and they had a big fancy Kickstarter edition. And then in June of 2021, um, the mass market edition um, hit target. I, I can't remember exactly how much before it was. It was several months though it before was, it actually it was shocking. Got to backers. It was shocking how much before. Yeah, yeah. like it was in Target a long enough so that a lot of people were tempted just to go pick it up because like I want to play the game that I backed. Um, and and then they're like, oh no, it's it's a different version. It's mass market. There really wasn't a significant difference except the player boards were not the dual layered. You didn't have the storage. You didn't have the promo cards. That's pretty much it. Everything else was the same. So it was 
kind of a slap to the face. And, you know, we hear this a lot of like Kickstarter backers being, oh, it's a slap to the face. You're, you know, it's in retail <laughs> first or it's at a convention first. Yeah. This one really was, though, yeah. because it was months before everybody got it. We all backed it to support the company to produce it. And they're like, oh, no, we had a thing signed with Target. We had to hit their date. Mm-hmm. Like, you had a thing signed with us. You needed to hit our date. Like, we gave you the money already. I know they gave you money, but so did we. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was somewhat controversial, and it's become you know a bit of a flashpoint with other companies that have had the similar issues. Like Simon did the same thing with Marvel United and Walmart. Yes, you you get the base games of Marvel United from Walmart months in advance. Like I think that first one came out like nine months before. That was crazy. That was painful. Yeah, it was like four months after the Kickstarter. They're like, here you go, and you're like, seriously. Like, I just backed this. Um, so it, it's it's become kind of a theme. Obviously, there's conspiracy theories around like, oh, they're using the money from that to cover this. And I'm like, I don't think it's that. I think it's they get a, they make a lot of money on Kickstarter. They use that leverage to sell the deal to Target or Walmart or whoever. But then those people want a much shorter turnaround and they have to hit that because that's a much larger contract with an individual company and I'm not I'm not defending them by any means. I think it's just sleazy, but it's capitalism. It's so, I mean, it's all sleazy on, on some level that they again, and depending on your your definition and what you read and stuff like that, when you're seeing these Kickstarter campaigns and the game gets to the stores before it gets to the backers. I don't want to use the word lie. I didn't use the word lie. I didn't just use it, but like they have to lie right on yeah. on the campaign because part of almost every campaign i think if not every campaign is what are our challenges what's our timeline what's how is it going to you know like what's the production all that kind of stuff and that's not true right like maybe that's true for that game but the reason why it's getting to you 9 months later after it gets out to the you know the big box stores is because they're fulfilling an order first so again it's kind of hard because in this day and age i think if you took it to a court they would say yeah back in the day kickstarter was always about you know funding these projects that wouldn't normally fund and meeting their backers you know needs and support but now it's just like you know it's just a marketing ploy right you just know that right Mm -hmm. it's a pre-order system oh yeah so Yeah. yeah it's a thing yeah, it's yeah, it, and and that's what that was, and you know they can pretend whatever they want, but that, that's what that was. Well, I mean, it's weird because I mean the reason why a lot of people back Kickstars, if not almost everyone back Kickstars, is because they want to get the game first. Yeah, I mean, ninety percent of the time, games are not radically different once they hit you know the regular stores or online stores. So, but you would get it a couple months in advance. Not the case, but at least. Right. That's the only example of it, right, Anthony? It's the only example. Oh, yeah, this definitely never happened ever anywhere else. Phew! Except all the time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so, all right, so I'm going to talk about another one. This is kind of niche. It's been almost seven years since this happened, so a lot of you may not remember it. Also, if you weren't in the Star Wars Destiny kind of fan group, following as as i was at the time you're like i don't know what you're talking about but there was a star wars destiny two-player game release it was a box set mm-hmm. um back in 2017 it was in like the big merch release drop before the last jedi came out um and 
it was only available in the big box stores. And nobody knew that really until right before it released. So some of the local stores were like, oh, yeah, we should get some copies in. And they're like, oh, actually, we're not going to get any because it's only coming to the to Target. And, you know, you got to go there to pick it up and then maybe we'll get it later. But by then you already have it. Right. Uh, and it made no sense for a lot of reasons, because a game like this and this is a fantasy flight thing that they just terrible, terrible. But for a game like this, you need the group play, right? You need organized play for the game to survive. Like, you need people playing it casually, but you also need people playing it in a group setting. And the game had just launched, like, the previous year. Like, it's not Magic. It's not Pokemon. You can't release whatever, whenever. And have, like, oh, we got the, the mass market and we've got the friendly local game store. Like, no, this is new content. It needs to be available to everybody. And it just wasn't. So it was, like, in- unavailable. And, you know, it was easy to find. Like, I went and got it at Target. and I, I picked up a copy. But, like, when am I going to play it then? I'm not going to bring it to my local game store that's all salty that the game didn't release there and play it with people there. I'm going to play it at home with nobody. So <laughs> it was it was like a weird thing with exclusive content to it that was only available in like this weird limited setting too. And they, you know, they sold out within a few months and then eventually the local game stores had it mm-hmm. and nobody bought it there. So many, many examples of this. This is just one that I particularly latched onto. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's annoying. Yeah. When was the last time you even thought about these dice master like games, right? Like that was a big thing for such a, a, like a a blink of the eye It was so big and it seemed like it was going to take over the industry. Like collectible card games was always the thing. And then they were like, Hey, collectible dice games. Dice? How about it? How about it? I loved it. I was cleaning up my basement because I had a little bit of a leak, and I was like, I have a lot of Star Wars Destiny dice. <laughs> like hundreds of these things. I love this game. I don't know where to put these. It's a great game. And space. I've looked on like it's been on like massive sale on the online stores for quite some time. And every time I was just like, mm, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> just like because it's There's nowhere to put it, man. Yeah. There's nowhere to put it. A lot of dice. A lot of dice. Yeah. I'm very excited for Star Wars Unlimited because it doesn't have dice and the game was good. There you go. Um, All right. And the last one we're going to talk about just very briefly is the ticket to ride line of the little guys, the New York's, the London's, the Paris, the Amsterdam. I think they're up to San Francisco. They have five of these now. Um, It's the miniature versions of ticket to ride, Mm -hmm. which almost exclusively launch in the big box stores. Eventually you can get them wherever, but when they first come out, that's where you find them. Mm-hmm. They're great. They're good introductions. They're short. They play great with smaller player accounts. They play great with kids. They play great in my classroom, but it's, <laughs> I have to track them down in the stores. Um, but they, they generally launch in the big box setting. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Like Imperial miners would be a great small box kind of mm. game if they shrunk it at least to shrunk the box down to this level and i guess would have to go with like cheaper pieces but these are really nice introductory games to non-gamers uh you know or even gateway gamers who kind of get them into the hobby you can kind of knock these out rather quickly and there's a lot of different ones so it's kind of fun you can throw these on a coffee table and just leave it there and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't take up the whole section there but yeah it's i love how small it like it the game takes like 20 minutes it's great mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, and again, it's it's nice to see 
it, it makes a lot of sense, right? And I think we're in the day and age where companies do want to expand their customer base and they're willing to take a great game and produce a equally great, smaller, sleeker, introductory level without uh, destroying the game, so to speak, for like the for the the consumers out there. So uh, the big box stores have helped a great deal of distributing these great games. Uh, there's been a lot of these simpler versions of games, but these certainly the ones that went to the big box stores. There was a lot of thought put into these, and it's great to see the individual designers um, retain the core of their great games and not monopolify it. Because they could have done that too, and nobody would have been the wiser. Oh, Spirit Island! You you take your spirit and you roll a die, and your spirit floats around the board. Because uh, that's Spirit Island, right? Like, no, no, it's actually Spirit Island, and you get to play Spirit Island, and you know what it is, and you can play the bigger version later on, and you're already, you know, you're there. It's not a joke. It's not a joke version. Sometimes these cards and dice games or big box games are joke. These are not. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that they're not jokes, because I think that's what we used to get. We did. It's like, oh, here's a dumbed-down nothing version. Like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Give me the game, just cheaper, and I'm okay with that. It's weird. I I guess, again, like, the idea is that where is the big market we want to get, we want to have the exclusive sticker on it, so to speak. I guess that's also a down version for these big box stores where they, they happen a lot of times to put stickers on the on the box, which we're not a fan of. But mm. these games go out there. I mean, the local game stores or the online game stores themselves would love to have these as exclusives. Oh, yeah. We don't see right. that really much of any more of these game companies kind of make ex- exclusives for, you know, you actually have to travel to get an exclusive or go online to a certain store. I guess that's what Kickstarter is or crowdfunding or GameFound. Or Hasbro has their Hasbro Pulse because that's exclusive. So, I don't know. Choose the exclusive that's $200 or choose the exclusive that's $20. Uh, Choose your poison, people. (laughs) (laughs) Buy both for some reason because we do that all the time. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, What are you going to do? All right, everyone. So that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. We'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.